When it comes to conflict, conflict is inevitable. It's not a matter of if there will be conflict, but when will there be conflict. And the essence of a conflict is a disagreement. Because we are radically different people, we will disagree. We have all been shaped by our history and our background, by our preferences and our perspectives. And because of this, conflict will happen. Now, when it comes to understanding someone's story, um, it it is a helpful way of understanding um, where they're coming from. And as I was reading a book um, uh, called Unoffendable by Brant Hansen, uh, he had some great words about other people's story. Uh, Look at this quote. Are we really honestly aware of just how little we actually know about other people? That's a great phrase. You might know right now the season that someone is in. You you might know a little bit about them if they're your friend. But do you really know all about their background, all about their history, in order to understand where they're coming from? The author said this and then also said, you know what our our, our, usual inclination is? We assume we're brilliant at understanding other people when actually we're clueless. We assume we know where they're coming from, assume they have a similar experience to our very own. And then finally, he just said straight out, we have no idea what is in someone else's heart. And let me give you an example of this. As a pastor, I do premarital counseling. My privilege to do, by the way. Uh, Does anyone remember uh, when you were engaged? And it's so interesting when you're engaged what you think you know about that other person. Um, I, I think uh, Kat and I thought we were the same person because we liked like the same movie. Like that's an overgeneralization, but we pretty much like, we're the same. We're not the same. And, and so it's interesting in premarital conf- uh, premarital counseling uh, to draw out some of the differences. Uh, differences in how they approach scheduling. Differences in how they approach parents. Differences in how they approach vacations. Because all of those differences will lead to potential conflict. In fact, what we do is we spend some time talking about family blueprints because the family you grew up in is usually the family that you now go and try and create and that script becomes so essential. But I bring this up because to the degree you're limited in understanding someone's background, you are then limited in understanding their perspective and opinion. And conflict will arise. But there is a right and a wrong way to handle conflict, yes? Amen? And I don't know about you, but I'm seeing some wrong ways of handling conflict. Anyone else? It seems that the age we live in, the way to handle conflict, is that whoever is the loudest and whoever gets the last word in wins. And so social media acts like our microphone, and and we can be really loud, and as long as we get the loudest, longest person, we have won. Ta-da! Another thing that I see is that instead of talking about actual issues, what's the issue, people make it personal. And now if I can defame the person, I can win the argument, which is a ridiculous thing because it skirts the actual issue and it now draws attention onto something that is irregardless and different. And I guess there was actually a bad example of conflict even this past week. I don't know if you've heard the same. Can I just remind you, by the way, if you're in Christ, uh, that regardless of who's uh, sitting in the White House, the King of Kings will be reigning on the throne after November. Uh, He's going to hold you. 
You can have peace about that. But the world gives us different ways to handle conflict. In fact, there were uh, two gentlemen who came up with the five ways of handling conflict. Their names are Kenneth Thomas and Ralph Kinman. And uh, maybe you've seen something like this. Um, talking about worldly ways of approaching conflict, uh, one way is just to avoid it. Uh, hope that it goes away on its own, uh, in which we say, good luck. <laughs> Usually gets worse. Uh, another thing you could do is you could accommodate. You could just take it all in and, and do whatever you can do uh, to make it all work out. On the other side is competing, which I think is going on today. Uh, whoever is the loudest and gets the last word, uh, a steamroll approach to it, right? Um, compromising, that's when both sides kind of lose. They both give something in order to meet in the middle. And then what some say is the best is collaboration, where um, the, the two very different sides think of a new thing where they both can potentially win. Uh, maybe you've seen this before. But we haven't gathered uh, just to get worldly wisdom. What I love about the, the time we have gathering um, in this place is to hear from God. And God reveals such wonderful wisdom. The greatest thing you can ever hear is that there is a rescuer from our sinful world. There is someone who went into the conflict and made peace. His name is Jesus. And you have the right to peace today through him. But he's also given us so much guidance through his word. In fact, when I consider conflict, look at this um, uh, passage from James. It says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And so one real good conflict management principle, here's the first one, is to seek first to understand before being understood. I was listening to a pastor who said, God gave you two eyes and two ears, but one mouth for a reason. So that you would observe doubly their body language, that you would listen doubly of what they said and clarify before you'd ever speak a word. This is a good principle. What would happen if just this principle was Im implemented in our world today? If we had people who first wanted to make sure they understood before they said a word. You know, I've been reading some articles and, and, and one commentator said, in general, it seems people have lost the ability to put themselves in the other person's shoes. That seems to be the world we live in. You've lost the ability. And here's the thing about putting yourself in someone else's shoes. You might not agree with them. At the end of that uh, experience, you still might be very much opposed to that preference. However, you could probably understand it. In fact, by the Spirit of God, I think most Christians can do that exercise, and you may not agree, but you can probably understand how they got there. If you're slow to speak and quick to listen. Right? And many people today just want to be heard. They, they don't care about what else someone else is saying. So that's just the tip of the iceberg, but we actually get to get into the best resource for conflict management. And uh, what we're going to get into is Matthew chapter 18. Um, and, and this is uh, Jesus' ironclad way of handling not just a disagreement, but an actual offense. And, and we're going to see so much truth in these words. Uh, so I'm going to invite you to please stand. We do this in honor of the word of God. Uh, we do feel that God has preserved his word to be trustworthy and so that finally we hear him through these words. Uh, so we read, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. 
If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. The goal here is that there would be a wake-up call. The goal here is that they would have a huge warning that they're in a dangerous place. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is what we refer to as the ministry of the keys. We bind a door by locking it, and we bind uh, someone's conscience if they don't repent, saying, you're in a dangerous place if you don't repent. We unlock it, we loose it by saying you're forgiven if they do repent. Um, That's what the church does. Again, truly, I tell you, if any two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. These are the powerful words we get to go through. Could you say out loud, how great is God's forgiveness? Please be seated. Just curious, how many of you use social media? So this includes Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, yeah, um, I, I would say it's, it's the majority, right? Um, and, and what I would say is that, you know, in, in some ways it's really, really good. Uh, for example, some of you are streaming this on Facebook, and, and that's a really great use of social media. Um, I, I, too, have enjoyed just getting a lot of content um, through Facebook and enjoying devotions and worship services. It's a really cool thing. But would you agree there is a downside to social media? (laughs) I guess there's this Netflix special called The Social Dilemma. Um, I've heard good reviews about it, um, uh, talking about some of the pitfalls. And and one of the pitfalls of social media is when there is a conflict or disagreement. Uh, Because usually a conflict and disagreement does not change anyone's mind. Rather, it polarizes and it entrenches. It just confirms what someone already was feeling uh, even more so. In fact, I don't know if you've ever been scrolling and and you had that that feed and and then your blood started to boil and you started like, you had this knee-jerk reaction, I must respond and correct. How wise is this? Uh, There was a poll done recently, I'm pretty sure it was scientific. Have you seen this one? The outcome of political arguments on social media. Um... Green, you change your mind. Blue, they change their mind. Red, nobody changes their mind and everybody's angry. I think it was a really scientific poll. um, (laughs) But there's some truth in that, in there. And, And what I find is that oftentimes, if we want to use it to make a point, it can be incredibly divisive. It can tear people apart rather than bring them together. And into our landscape of divisiveness, the word of God speaks. I love Titus chapter 3 where it says, look, but avoid foolish controversies. How many foolish controversies are there on Facebook? Too many to count? And, And he says, dive right into them. Make sure you respond and correct everyone. No, he says, avoid Foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, these are unprofitable and they are useless. Just like the chart. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. 
divisiveness. Beware. When it comes to conflict, um, beware of the danger zone of divisiveness. Because what we find in Scripture is that divisiveness is not a fruit of the Spirit. I have yet to see a chapter by Paul describing on how you should play devil's advocate and stir things up a little bit. What I have found is Jesus' words. Blessed are the peacemakers. In fact, this doesn't get a lot of attention in Scripture. I go through the series of Lent every year. But do you know, before Jesus gave his life for us, when he's praying in the garden, a huge part of that prayer was for unity. Do you know John chapter 17? He, he prayed, Father, as we are one, let them be one. Do you know that was God's desire for his people, that they would be united? In fact, um, right now we're continuing our online devotions at, at Amazing Love. Uh, we're going through the book of Corinthians, and um, Paul was addressing a divide. In, in the Christian congregation in Corinth, uh, some were saying, well, I follow Paul, and I follow Paulus, and I follow Peter. And, 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 and Paul was trying to bring them all together, saying, you know, it's all about Jesus. But, but then he talked about the people who would like to divide, and he used some strong language. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. What he's describing is that any church is not only the body of Christ, but also God's temple. And if someone wants to come in and destroy it with divisiveness, I don't know any stronger language, God will destroy that person. How much does God want us to strive for unity among our own blood-bought Brothers and sisters in Christ. And you might be wondering at this point, well, Pastor, what does this have to do with Matthew chapter 18? I'm glad you asked. Um, Matthew chapter 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if you don't do that, guess what you've done? You've been divisive. If you tell someone else before you tell that person, you now again have two against one. If you tell everyone else and not that person, guess what you've done? You have created a gang and, and now you have warring parties because you did not follow the script that God gave. And so God says, go. Go alone. Keep it between you two. Strive for unity. But it's a mess. It's hard to do that. And into this mess is the beauty of Jesus. Can I tell you about him? If anyone could have put together an ironclad argument of how he was right and we are wrong, it is Jesus Christ. If anyone could have pointed the finger and said, look how bad they are, and gathered around him the Father and the hosts of heaven, that would be Jesus. If anyone could have made a case why we should stay divided, it would be the unholy ones versus the holy God. But what is the way of Jesus? He comes into this earth for one reason, and that is to make peace between warring parties. So that an unholy people 
could be united with a holy God. And he would give his life for that peace. I love what it says in the book of Colossians. He canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, the thing that stood against us and condemned us, the thing standing in in front of me and my heavenly Father, my sin. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. How beautiful the cross of Jesus Christ, which reminds us you're united with the one true God. You're forgiven. You have the right to be called the children of God. And you're forgiven for any divisiveness in the past. You're forgiven if you struggle with how to handle conflict. You're forgiven because of the Prince of Peace. How much do we need his example, his salvation? But what kind of people should we be from the cross? Is this our license to continue to handle conflict in a messy way? Jesus is going to forgive me. Or is this our inspiration to be more like him? It's the latter. So as we continue, one of the incredible things about conflict is that at its very core, many times, is miscommunication. Doing some worldly research, uh, Dale Carnegie said this, 90% of all management problems are caused by miscommunication. You ever been there? And it made me analyze, like, what is the most common way that we communicate? What about you? Texting. Texting, right? Think of all that is missed in a text. You do not have tone. You cannot read body language. Your your emoji might convey an emotion, but not completely, right? We're more complicated than one emoji. Um... You miss all of that stuff. What I also find for a text, if you're disagreeing with someone, if there's a conflict, anything that is potentially negative or conflicting weighs a thousand pounds. Right? Then I think of another way of communicating, Zoom. Have you learned that Zoom is still not a replacement for face-to-face? Has anyone learned that? And then I think email. Email is the same. You don't have tone. You don't have body language. Anything negative is going to weigh 1,000 pounds, right? And, and, and so um, when, when it comes to this, what would God have us do? How would he have us communicate? I found another great passage from Galatians that said this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, and that's going to be heavy. It's going to be conflict. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person. Can you say that word out loud? I think gentleness is underrated. Anyone else? But when you see it, it's actually one of the most beautiful things you can see. I was going for a run on Old Plank Trail, and there I saw an elderly couple, and uh, this man who was helping his wife to walk. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Have you ever been in a situation where someone could have gone off on you, and they didn't? It would have been a coach, a boss, a parent. You are completely dead wrong. And instead of laying the hammer down, they were gentle with you. Man, is that beautiful. You know, I've been on the receiving end of other people's gentleness. I can tell when someone has crafted communication just so because they were concerned on how it came off. So beautiful. 
And so if we want to learn from our God, I believe the way out of the danger zone of conflict is through a gentle approach. And I'm not sure how gentle you can be without being personal. I'm not sure how gentle a text can be. I'm not sure how gentle an email can be when it's really heavy and personal. You know, it kind of reminds me of the rules of dating. Do, do you remember uh, learning the rules of how to break up with someone? I remember asking my sister, Sis, I, I want to call it off. What do I do? And she gave me the word I didn't want to hear. Because <laughs> when I was dating, I, I just wanted to, like, you know, email it, right? <laughs> now, now people want to text it. And, and now it's even gone further. Ghosting is a thing, right? Which means you just don't say anything. Um, but but the, the goal, if you learned it correctly, was to meet face-to-face. You got to be brave enough to tell them face to face the very thing you don't want to do is what you need to do. Why? The other person. Do you know how many relationships are just ghosted today? Friendships ghosted. Um, in the church world, just ghosted. What's a better way to be personal? to take the time to do it in a gentle and a loving way, to look at them and love them. Not because it's about you, it's about loving them. I love Jesus' way. Jesus came into this conflict with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and the Pharisees had a way. They were going to be very harsh. The Pharisees put her in public, shamed her, wanted to stone her, and Jesus looks at this lady and loves her. And Jesus de-escalates the conflict. He has this winsome way. He says, if any of you is without sin, f- throw the first stone. Go for it. And then they're like, uh, my sin is different, but the situation is the same. One by one, they, they go away. And you get this. Jesus is the judge. He is the one that everyone is going to have to answer to for what they did in their life. And in this situation, look at his approach to the woman. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? As if he didn't see everyone else walk away. What is he being? He's being very gentle. No one, sir, she said. Oh, then neither do I condemn you. But go and leave your life of sin. I love the way of our Savior. Have you experienced it in your own life? When he needs to correct you and guide you in a new way, this is the way of our Heavenly Father. And this should be the way of us. But what's interesting about conflict is it does present opportunities. And opportunities we'd never have asked for, but opportunities nonetheless. And maybe your life has worked this way. Have you ever come upon an opportunity from a situation you would have never dreamed of or asked for? I think of uh, COVID. No one would have ever asked for the pandemic, right? Um, But it's afforded some opportunities in very winsome ways. I have conversations over highs and lows, and many people are like, you know what, I've had increased family time, uh, dinner time tables uh, because of COVID. I would have never chosen a pandemic, but I sure, I like that, right? Or or, uh, I think of how we uh, came up across this building. Um, I was looking in Frankfurt for a house, And uh, while we were about a mile away looking at a house, I I happened to come in on the church. 
uh, is then that we found that they, they needed to sell, and, and now here we are. I wasn't looking to buy a church. We were looking to buy a house, but here we are. And, and, and here's the thing about conflict. Uh, none of us would ever pick it. In, in fact, if you would pick it, uh, you got problems. <laughs> Different sermon series for you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we all struggle. Um, that's an overstatement. Anyway, um, we would never pick it. No one likes it. But there is an incredible opportunity. And the opportunity is to remind someone just how much God loves them. I consider the opportunity uh, what's behind Matthew 18. It says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. And won them over to what? To I'm right and you're wrong? To I'm better than you? You've won them over to the forgiveness and love of God. You point out sin so you can point out the beauty of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to conflict, you've got to always remember the goal. The goal is to share those beautiful words, you're forgiven. To restore a brother or sister who needs to be restored. Here I'm reminded of Paul's words about love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, You know what, if I could have a faith that moves mountains... If I could know all wisdom, if I get everything I had to the poor, but I didn't love, it was nothing. Do you remember that from 1 Corinthians 13? And so I could go on and I could say, if you confront that person and do the hard work, and if you share with them even the good word of forgiveness, but your heart behind it wasn't love, I'm not sure you should have done it. I'm not sure it was a thing. Love makes all the difference in why we would approach someone else. But the opportunity not only to share with them God's love, but also to show our love with them. You know, it's interesting that when it comes to relationships, it is conflicts and disagreements that actually build relationships initially. Do you remember dating or getting to know a friend? You ask music preference and taste preference and football preference, and you might never agree with any of their preferences, right? But at least now you understand them. And in certain circumstances, you might even flex a little bit to try to listen to that artist, try that food, watch that game, um, and it's all part of the relationship-building process. Now, those are very tame subjects, but, but the essence is the same for even the deepest issue. On the deepest issue, you know the opportunity of a conflict? To grow together. If you've ever really had it out with someone and the both sides repent, there can be sweetness on the other end. There can be a bond and a strength like never before, not in spite of, but because of that conflict. So there's opportunities not only to grow with God, but also to grow with someone else. To close, I heard a great example of this. Um, it was by Brant Hansen, I'm reading his book. And he was telling me about um, uh, his music director, Sherry, who is an African-American lady, also a Christian speaker. And she was uh, touring around, and she remembers going to a church, going into an office where someone was completely rude to her dismissive and offensive. And if you've ever been, you know, treated that way, she just felt very alone and unwanted. She still spoke at that engagement, and after it, that same gentleman came up to her with tears in his eyes. 
and she forgave him. She was like God to him. Kind. Even though she knows the deepness of that hurt. And Brant Hansen had this to say. He said, Sherry's love, it's not naive. But that's exactly why it's profound. She's setting her offense aside, not because it doesn't matter, not because it isn't completely understandable, but because of what Jesus has done for her. And this is the way to handle conflict. Our final point, the way out of it is through sacrifice. You think of what Sherry had to sacrifice in order to be God to that person. All the arguments she could have given and dug in and how he offended her. You think of what Jesus sacrificed to make peace between warring parties. He gave it all. And you think of what God might be calling you to sacrifice to smooth it over to reconcile and to resolve. What if each person left today and even in their own families and church bodies strove to do it this way? What would our world look like if just every Christian, the ones who confess Christ, would try to do this more and more? By the Spirit, let it be. And let it start with us.